I had the best conversation this week with the amazing Fiona Norbury. As you'll hear, she shares an inspiring story about how she first got into diving and how that passion combined with her career as head of marketing for Apex. We talked all about her love of travel and exploration, and honestly, I was hypnotised by some of her incredible descriptions of life under the waves, whales, sharks, it's all there, it's amazing. Fiona also shares how she wants to bring some of these experiences to life to give the rest of us a little taste of that magic. We also discuss how manufacturing is changing, shifting away from that old school perception of a world run by stuffy old men to a more modern, forward-looking industry where everyone is welcome. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. From Redfern Media, this is Remake Manufacturing. My guest this week is Fiona Norbury. She's an experienced marketing professional with a broad range of skills across marketing, branding, and design. Her background in theatre design means that brand storytelling is a key component of her working style. Fiona works at Apex, a long-established firm that designs, manufactures, and distributes high-quality scuba diving equipment. As global marketing manager, Fiona plays a key role driving growth for the overall business within the Apex brand. Welcome, Fiona. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, you're very, very welcome. Um, do you want to just take us right back to your beginnings and tell us how you first got into marketing? Uh, yeah, I didn't particularly get into marketing. Marketing kind of got into me. It found me. Um, I actually left university with a degree in, in theatre design and I specialised in lighting and sound technology. Um, so I did a lot of writing music for the theatre. I designed lighting schemes and I kind of graduated at the top of that little bit of the industry. And what I found when I left university was that it was quite hard to move into a similar sort of job. I had this kind of rosy idea of me designing soundscapes in a sound studio and having this quite nice life. And what actually happened was that you don't go straight into a job like that. What you have to do is start back on the lower rungs of the ladder. So I did quite a bit of work with various theatre companies and quite quickly realised that there was a lot of working quite late into the night, a lot of antisocial hours quite a lot of working for free. Wow. It became quite apparent that I needed a plan B if I, if I was going to pay back the student loan. Right, right. Quite taxing. And uh, yeah, as a career plan, a little bit tricky. Was there, was there any shows that we might have heard of that you worked on? Um, I did fair. I don't know if you're into opera, but I did quite a bit with Opera North. And I don't know if Steve Coogan did a show. He did a tour um, called The Man Who Thinks He Is It. So I was the follow spot operator for, for bits of that tour, which um, was good fun. I do remember that. Yeah, it's a, it's a very funny show. And how was he to work with? Um, he was a really good guy, really, really nice person to work for. He he had a tendency to do little tricks on some of the crew, particularly so knowing that I was doing the follow spot. Part of doing that role is that you have to very closely track where that person's moving on stage. So um, there were various bits of the of the show where he would go off stage and then you'd have to be back on him immediately as soon as he came back on stage. And if he knew there was someone a little bit new doing that role, he would tend to come back on in a different place on stage or even a different side of the stage. So you'd, you'd realize that you had to like crank this massive, huge light across the stage and try and, and track him again. So he <laughs> mucked about a bit and he did quite a few things backstage. But yeah, he was that was one of the nicer projects to work on. That's good fun. Baptism of fire, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. So back to, back to marketing, yeah. So, so what, what took you from theatre into marketing after that? I, when I realised that um, it probably wasn't going to be my future, I signed up with a, just a recruitment agency just to, to get a job really while I had to think about what I was doing. And I was offered a three-day role as a receptionist in a shopping centre in a, in a big multi-retailer shopping centre. So I did that job and on the second day I was offered a full-time job as a receptionist with them. 
so I worked in the management office for the for the shopping center and as part of that I spent quite a bit of time working with the person that was doing the marketing at the time she was uh, busy preparing for Christmas and just needed an extra pair of hands so alongside doing the receptionist work I spent time with the retailers learning about how they handle Christmas how they do their point of sale how they do their retail and their footfall and I also worked with the marketing manager for the center to help create all those plans for Christmas and then maybe three or four weeks before Christmas she left but like left just disappeared and we found that we had a shopping center with a with a, a Christmas plan and no one to actually make it happen so I offered to step in last minute and just kind of get the center through Christmas. So I helped out with all things like the the grotto and the events and the decorations and the whole thing that is Christmas in a shopping center, which is huge. Um, yeah, crikey. That must have been quite hectic. It was, but again, it was like, it was just a whole different world that I'd never experienced before. And it was, it was just a really lovely learning opportunity of nothing else. And I came out the other side and my manager said to me, like we know we know theatre is your thing we know this isn't necessarily where you want to be but we have enjoyed having you with us and you've done a pretty good job so if you would consider staying we'd be very happy to have you stay as our marketing manager and what they hadn't realized by that point I had just fallen in love with marketing I'd fallen in love with every aspect of selling the dream and so I yeah I stayed on they gave me a job and they put me through my chartered institute of marketing marketing qualifications so I did that at university alongside working and yeah that was that was it marketing became my career completely by accident wow and then and then your other passion to go alongside marketing and theater is is diving is that right it is yeah I became a diver actually not long after leaving university I went on holiday with a girlfriend and we learned to dive um but prior to that I had been living in Israel um and I remember my very first look underwater I was snorkeling and I was living in Israel and we'd travel down to Elat just for a weekend break. And I remember I put my head underwater and breathed through a snorkel for the first time. And I saw the underwater world and I, it changed my life. The idea that this whole world existed steps from the beach. There was coral and fish and it was clear and beautiful. It was like staring into an aquarium. And at that point, I was bitten by the underwater world. And I've always been a bit of a water baby anyway growing up I was happiest in water so it was Amazing. kind of a progression yeah it was a progression that was always going to happen I just needed that little window to open so yeah I learned to dive and gradually increase my qualifications and then that naturally leads on to you working with Apex um, scuba diving company um, your marketing for them so it's, it's all your passions and interests combined into one yeah, it's like a sweet shop job, isn't it? The opportunity to combine my two passions of marketing and scuba diving. <laughs> so tell us a bit about Apex for those who don't know. Uh, what's the story of how the company came to be and um, how does Aqualung fit into that picture? Apex um, started off as a very, very small company. It was actually two friends that started making dive equipment, literally from their garage in, in Bolton in the northwest of England. So around about 1974, they started creating bits of equipment and the reason they started doing it was because they identified in the market there wasn't the product that they wanted at the quality that they knew they wanted so they thought rather than trying to buy something that isn't what we want we'll just make what we want so that's how it started out they started to to make equipment and bit by bit the range grew and the company grew over the years and so that was 1974 and then in the late 90s around about 1997 Apex, the company, was acquired by Aqualung. 
Aqualung is a much bigger brand. And for anyone who doesn't know much about diving, Aqualung is Jacques Cousteau's original company. So Jacques Cousteau invented the the Aqualung, the original breathing equipment. Um, and so, yeah, we were acquired by Aqualung. And at that point, being acquired by a much larger organization gave us so much more investment that allowed Apex as a brand to massively grow in the market. Um, and the name, even the name Apex comes from the names of the original guys. So the two friends were called Ken Smith Ainsco and Eric Partington. So the name Apex just is an anagram of the first letters of, of their name. And are the founders still with you there? Um, Eric, no. Ken is not part of the company anymore, but he is very much involved in sort of being part of the company. He lives in Australia now and he handed over the reins to somebody else. But it's, it, Apex is quite a family business. It's, um, yeah, it's the kind of organization where people stay a long time. Families, generations work for the company. It's a very close-knit organization. And uh, you've been there for a few years now. How long have you been there? And sort of give us a window into what's, what's your role exactly. I've been with the company for nine years. And my role now as global marketing manager is to globally... Um, from strategy to deployment to activation is to get the Apex brand out into the market. We are quite a small brand, but we have a very strong niche, niche position in the market. So my role is to to grow that, really. And like you say, it's a sweet shop job. You've been so lucky to find a career that sort of ticks so many boxes. How do you bring your passions for theatre and diving into the job that you do on a day-to-day basis? I think with a lot of marketing roles, your consumer has a fairly good reference point. So say I was the marketing manager for a ski brand. Um, I think most people, even if you don't ski and even if you don't want to ski, you have a fairly good idea what snow feels like um, and you have a fairly good idea of what fresh air feels like and what it might feel like to ski. So your consumer kind of has a starting reference point. But the real luxury with being the marketing manager for a scuba diving brand is that it's a whole other world, like 70 something percent of the world 71 percent of the earth is covered in water but 95 percent of it is unexplored and most people will never go underwater so if I can communicate that feeling to them I can bring my passion for diving and I think one of the examples that I use is that I once did a dive with someone that I was training to be a professional diver she was doing her dive master course and there was a humpback whale singing really close to where we were diving. And we had the opportunity to either go for a quick dive or we could lie in the sand at eight meters and listen to a humpback whale sing. And when a humpback whale sings, you don't just hear it, you feel it. It actually makes your sternum vibrate. And that's the kind of thing that is so hard to communicate. But if I can do that through my background in theater, which is obviously storytelling and creating environments and creating atmospheres, I can make someone, even if they're not a diver, I can make someone go, you know what? I want to be a diver. And that's a, an amazing story. I can't even imagine, but I want to I want to jump underwater now and <laughs> get a taste of that. Yeah, it's it really is. Some of the things I've seen underwater are so so amazing and I often think if as you walk around the, the streets, birds tend to be fairly in this country, birds tend to be fairly uniformly dull. But imagine if the birds were actually the colors of the fish. Imagine if the trees were the, the color of the coral. Imagine if our mountains looked like underwater coral landscapes if people could walk around like that people would not stop smiling it would be such a happy world to live in that's true and part of my my passion is to bring over that (laughs) not just love of the ocean but preservation of the ocean so let's get back to apex um, and maybe you can sort of tell us what makes them different to to other brands out there and 
we're quite different, I think, certainly within the scuba diving market. And there's, I think there's three main reasons for that. One of them is that we're a vertically integrated organization. Certainly at our main manufacturing plant, we're vertically integrated. And so we manage every aspect of production. We don't need to outsource things to different companies. So a good example of that is we have an in-house plating department, which is quite unusual because it's a massive investment to have an in-house plating department. Um, But we did it because what we want to do is make sure that a piece of metal comes into one end of the factory and a fully formed product goes out the other end of the factory. And in between, we have absolute control over the quality of that product at every stage. So if there is some something something that happens some minor glitch we're on it straight away and by managing all of that we have a really really good product and it also means because we do do everything in-house we have a very strong R&D facility we've got our own little test pool we've got a little swim pool at work where we can test our products we have something called an Anstey machine which allows us to recreate a dive down to hundreds of meters so we can give our products real life testing and that R&D function means that we're quite responsive and creative because we have a whole team of people whose job is more or less to tinker. They, we have our own machines that are dedicated to experimenting and playing and learning how to do things better and more creatively and more streamlined. So as a business, as a vertical integrated business, we're very responsive. We also, certainly in the UK um, facility, we are accredited to the BSI ISO 4001 environmental management system. And that means that we look at every aspect of how we do our business and how we can do it better. So examples of that are we're a solar powered factory. So our machines run off solar energy and anything that we make beyond what we need, we sell back to the grid, which helps to support local homes. We're also a zero landfill business, so nothing that leaves our factory goes to landfill. We recycle, we reuse, or we um, use biomass or um, burn our waste, so we're creating energy that drives turbines. We recycle all all of our cartons into new packaging, so we're kind of a holistically, ethically-minded business, if I don't know that's the right way to describe it, but we we think very carefully about the way we do our jobs. And the third thing is we are, I mentioned that we're vertically integrated, but we're also horizontally integrated. And I mentioned that we were acquired by Aqualung in the 90s. What Aqualung did is they acquired a number of businesses like ours who effectively would at some point have become our competitors, but they're no longer our competitors now. They're part of our organization. So anything that we develop, if say we want to make a new scuba diving mask, we have a center of excellence in Italy that is dedicated to making scuba diving masks. If we want to make a new buoyancy device, we have a a center of excellence in the USA that's dedicated to making buoyancy devices. So we're not just creating Me Too products from any sort of online platform that is available. We're actually making products that are for our audience specifically. So we have a mixture of really good products, really well made and made by people that understand the brand and the customer. So you've obviously got um, you know great stories within the company there, a lot of magic behind the scenes, not just the, the magic of nature, but the technology that you've been talking about. How do you tell your customers about this? How do you, how do you engage and how do you give them that experience that you're talking about? I like to think that you never sell a mattress, you sell a good night's sleep. And so I think when I come to marketing our scuba diving products, Nobody really learns to dive because they're really into regulators. They learn to dive because they want to explore 
or because they're passionate about the environment. And sometimes even people are diving simply to find out more about themselves. It's actually quite a meditative experience to dive. And so people are diving to, to reconnect with themselves. So when I do my marketing and my storytelling, I make sure that I can get over that by using our product you can explore this area. You know, it's not so much about the fact it's a regulator. It's about by using this product, we can get you into this environment. So when we do photo shoots, we tend to go to some really cool places, um, cenotes in Mexico. And um, we've even dived where tectonic plates meet in uh, Iceland. Wow. So some really cool places. And I think also one of the strong things about Apex, I've mentioned already that it's kind of a family sort of brand so behind the scenes we do go behind the scenes with our instagram channels we can go into the factory we can take pictures of the products being made and i think our customers really engage with the fact that it isn't just something that comes off a production line and goes into some packaging it is made by hands it's made by people and we show those people making the products we show the processes and there's something really for me something really gorgeous about machinery and really clever machinery as well some of the lathes that we have um just watching them work is fascinating and we share that with our customers and it gives them a feeling for the product and the brand. And can you tell us a, a campaign that you're particularly proud of then? Let's let's go into the detail of uh, something that you've been in charge of that's that's really worked out. Well, the one I'm most proud of is Secret. I can't tell you. It's for a product that launches in 2022. So it's a little <laughs> bit secret at the moment, but that will be a fully... Give uh, us a hint. It's a fully immersive experience um, that allows the consumer to interact with our product in quite a new way for us and quite a new way for the industry, actually. And it's both an in-store experience and an online experience. So the consumer can interact with our product in-store and online in a really cool way. Um, but I can't tell you about that. But I can tell you about what we've just done, <laughs> which is um, our campaign that we have just launched was heavily affected by covid so I mentioned that we tend to travel all over the world to do our photo shoots. We have ambassadors using our products all over the world and that just ground to a halt completely. We had to completely change our plans for 2021. And I was left with the dilemma of how to sell the dream that I've mentioned, how to sell the good night's sleep, not the mattress, with absolutely nothing. So I decided on a studio shoot and I went along the theme of scroll stopping wow so what I wanted all the people who are just home scrolling they get to our advert and even if they don't like diving and if they don't know the product they stopped and went oh that is a really nice image so we created this theme with really really beautiful standout images and then what we did was a lot of real close-up images that show the attention to detail that I've mentioned and the quality that we have. So things like the hand stitching that you can see on some of our products, the molding and the attention to detail that you get. And it's created actually a completely different campaign to what I thought we were going to do. We had a few weeks to change everything, but what we've come out at the other end of is actually really, really nice. So I'm really proud that we were able to do something in such a restricted environment. And do you find that when you start campaigns that um, whatever your original idea was, it does evolve uh, along the process and, and surprise you as you go along? Uh, yeah, yeah, all the time. And I think that's one of the things that I do like about my job. It is different day to day and it's every day really is a learning day and people bounce ideas off each other. You learn about new things. So yeah, things definitely do evolve. So let's turn to manufacturing now. Um, what, what's your sort of take on the, the manufacturing industry? Some people think it's um, a bit stuffy, full of men. What's the reality from inside where, where we are today? <laughs> stuffy old men. Um, well, I think there's always a little bit of a place for, for stuffy old men in manufacturing. They're usually the ones that have the, the WD-40 and the gaffer tape and can fix just about anything. So there'll always be a place for that. But I think... <laughs> 
definitely manufacturing has massively evolved. Certainly my dad, before he retired, was an engineer. Um, and I remember going to where he worked and it was just a noisy, noisy, loud, dirty, smelly place, uh, which had its own little magic about it. But it was definitely a very traditional manufacturing location. And when you look at where I work, it's a completely different type of place. We have Kanban, we do 6S, we're a lean functioning site, all of the eco stuff I've mentioned. We have warehouse management systems. So all this kind of stuff that makes a modern business very, very sleek and responsive we're clean we're bright and so yeah I think manufacturing is in a massively different place to where it used to be and I don't think that is communicated as much as it could be that manufacturing is cool and it can be cool yeah I mean exactly everything that you've been talking about it makes me want to get to the factory and have a look at how you put all these kind of things together it sounds like a a a lovely place to be part of it is and One of the advantages of being based on site, well, um, normally being based on site, is that we can just wander down and have a look around the machines and talk to the people operating the machines. And the passion that they have, a lot of the people that work at our place have been there for 30 years. So they know the product, they know the brand, they know the machines inside out. And the passion that they all have for producing the best quality product that they can is, it's infectious. It really is. You can go down on the shop floor. If you're having a bit of a, a miserable day on the emails, you can just wander down and have a look around. And it is, it's, it is fascinating. Amazing. And let's just talk about gender representation in the industry. Are, are you seeing um, enough senior female leaders? And would you say there's equal pay equity? That is, a, I think that might deserve its own podcast. That's a big crunchy question, isn't it? <laughs> um, so statistically, we know that women are underrepresented in the boardroom, but actually it's not just women, is it? It's diversity as a whole. Um, there are lots of people that are underrepresented in the boardroom. And although that is an issue across lots of sectors, and we know that is statistically true, I would say that it's particularly true in manufacturing. And there are lots of reasons for that. And it's more than just looking at gender pay gap and seeing who's at the table. It's it's finding out why people aren't coming to the table. What are the reasons for that? Is it that STEM skills in females, for example, we know that I think it's something like one in four girls will only come out of education with STEM skills. And I know for me, granted, it's a while ago, but when I was at school, my career advice was very focused on the fact that I was a female despite the fact that actually I was doing sciences at a level I wanted to be a vet originally so I was interested in engineering I was interested in science I had all the skills I was doing woodworking but it was never presented as an actual career that I would be suited to so we have to look at what's coming through from schools we have to look at things like things like men tend to stay in the workplace a lot longer and I use that example of some of the people that work at our factory they've worked there for a long long time so obviously they're in terms of their pay they're getting higher pay because they've just worked there incrementally longer than someone who perhaps would have an office role that might be more female focused so yes I would say there is a lot to sort out in manufacturing is it getting better hopefully potentially I see kids tv now that does focus more on making sure that girls see the advantages of being involved in science they do have female presenters so perhaps things are getting better but yeah I'm aware of there being a gap yeah still a, a wee way to go but um it sounds like you're hopeful that the industry is evolving slowly in the right direction hopefully 
And as you're saying, um, with COVID and also with Brexit, it has been a, a rough couple of years now. Um, how, how have you seen that? You know, those twin forces affecting manufacturing and your business specifically. I think it, it will. Obviously, it will have affect affected manufacturing. So, in the case of our business, there aren't many suburban semis with a lathe in the spare bedroom. So, people really could only be at work operating machinery, and if those people couldn't be in work operating machinery that was going to affect our our product going out the door we were actually really lucky though there were quite a few interesting things that happened with us so we did have enough work to keep us ticking over with um, some of the military orders so even though dive shops had shut and even though people weren't allowed to dive there still was professional diving happens that kept us ticking over but then what we found was that come June People who would normally go for a dive a few times a year and hire their kit, they realized that they didn't want to hire kit. They wanted their own because of cross-contamination. So they were buying their own kit so they didn't have to hire. So that helped grow sales. Um, And then when it became apparent that no one was going to be traveling, people then bought all their kit so instead of going overseas, going on a liverboard and hiring their kit on the boat, they were buying, buying all of their kit in the UK to be able to dive in the UK. Uh, and then what we're now finding is that people who haven't been able to go on holiday, they haven't done any travel, they haven't been out for nice meals, they now have quite a bit of disposable income. And because Apex is a premium brand, and I think you probably might understand a bit about why we are so premium with everything that we do in the factory and the way we run our business. So they are kind of big ticket items and a lot of people will aspire to be part of the brand, but not necessarily be able to be part of the brand. But because of the amount of disposable income that people have managed to stash up for those that were lucky enough to still be working, they're buying these big ticket items because they're investing in something that they've never been able to have before, or they're just buying our products because it's, it's a feel good. It's, you know, something that can make people feel better, particularly with this, this recent lockdown where people have really become exhausted it's like right what can I do that is going to give me hope and everyone's right now this summer we're going diving I'm going to buy the product I've always wanted which is an apex regulator or an apex wing so our order books are full like really full we've got extra shifts on at the moment so although at the very beginning there was some concern that concern very quickly went and I think very specific to the diving industry we've been really lucky because coming out the other side of it all people want to do is be free to dive and explore and have adventures. Yeah, it does feel like, you know, when when that whistle blows, we'll all be Out just running into the sea, won't we? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's end the show the same way we do each week, uh, just by asking you to tell us the one invention that if it was never manufactured, your life would be unbearable. And I think I can guess what you're going to say, but let's see where you go with this. <laughs> Actually, no, you might be wrong. Unbearable is quite a big word, isn't it? Um, I think looking at my whole life, the printing press, because I'm an avid reader and I love science fiction and I love escapist Ah. reading. So my whole childhood, especially my teenage years, the horrible teenage years when nobody understands you, that was my escape reading. Um, And all the travel, I've lived all over the world. I've spent so much of my life traveling and I've always had a good book. So I would say the printing press. Yeah, I mean, a good book can be as immersive as uh, being underwater. So I, Absolutely. I, I understand where you're yeah. coming from. Yeah, books, theatre and diving. Oh, and coffee. Good coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a recipe for a good time. So all it leaves me to say now is thanks to today's guest, Fiona Norbury. Thank you to you as well. Thank you for, I know you've got quite a big date happening today um, where your family grows a little bit. So 
thank you as well for taking the time out to talk to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been good fun doing this. Just before we dash into the hospital later on, uh, we, we've got a baby coming today. So um, yeah, next time on the podcast, you might hear uh, a little bit of crying in the background. <laughs> and a very tired voice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Fiona. No worries. You're welcome. Take care. <laughs> Subscribe to this podcast in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and Google Music. Thank you for listening to this edition of Remake Manufacturing. I'm your host, Stuart Black. See you next time.